Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Us Podcast. We're back after a couple of days uh, off with the July 4th holiday. I hope you all had a great holiday weekend. Um, yeah, I hope uh, hope that was the case. Uh, but hey, we're back. Back in the saddle here on a Wednesday, Wednesday, July 6th. 2022 edition here on the chase thomas podcast on the blue wire pod network uh go check out all the other great shows here on the blue wire pod network uh we've got uh the long shot with nba uh miami heat guard uh duncan robinson we got green light with chris long we've got spinsters with Haley o'shaughnessy and jordan liggins uh all kinds of great shows all across our platform so go check out all of those today uh thank you as always for making the chase thomas podcast tar- uh, part of your uh daily listen uh, where what wherever that may be whenever that may be on your preferred podcast player but if you prefer to watch this very program guess what you can do so as well youtube.com <clears throat> slash chase thomas podcast youtube.com slash chase thomas podcast like and subscribe all that good stuff over on the youtube page read me at sports renaissance man type your email and become a subscriber today you can uh, get in touch with the show at chase thomas podcast at gmail.com uh just send me an email mailbag any questions you might have for me chase the most podcast at gmail.com tweet at me at chase double underscore thomas like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer looks like we got a two-parter for you guys today on the program uh still a jam-packed week ahead uh, but we kick things off with david Feldman on the oakland a's uh the christian pache and uh, Shay Langlier's trade for Matt Olson. Uh, why this has been such a rough year uh, in Oakland. They're on track to have the worst season in Oakland A's history. Um, the new stadium, the Lakobs, and whether or not uh, Joe Lakob is going to buy the team eventually. Um, just all kinds of stuff. Bob Melvin's departure. A lot of fun uh, talking with David. So hope you guys enjoy. Very baseball heavy show on today's program. We got Fangraphs John Taylor coming up right after this. So uh, two parter today here on the Chase Most Podcast on the Blue Wire Pod Network. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, here we are back on a Tuesday afternoon, a couple days away for the holiday weekend, but we are back here on the Chase Most Podcast, taping this on a Tuesday afternoon. David Feldman is here, first timer. David, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, Chase. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for being here, man. Um, I got to watch the A's up close and personal a couple weeks ago with the Brave series, and that was an interesting one, but... Uh, obviously, the Braves and the A's are kind of linked this year and for the next couple of years with uh, the Matt Olson trade. But before we get into that, I just want to get start off by getting your perspective on covering the team and watching the team this year. Has it been about what you expected? Has it been difficult to get through these summer months with uh, just this lineup that uh, the A's are running out most nights? What has it been like for you? Yeah, it's, it's not been a lot of fun because the team's not very good. Yeah. And we knew going in with all the offseason trades and the way the team was going that this was going to be a rough year. Mm. Did we think it was going to be as rough as it is? I mean, they're on a pace to have the worst season in Oakland history. The 79 team won, uh, lost 108 games. This team's on a pace to lose 110. And that's the only Oakland team to lose over 100 games. And they're doing it in a way that is not fan-friendly. They don't have a great offense. So they don't score a lot of runs. They're not hitting a lot of home runs. There's nothing really to get excited about. The pitching's been okay. Starting pitching's been probably above average. Bullpen's been shaky and bad at times. Mm. And so 
that's a terrible combination if you're a fan because your your team doesn't score a lot of runs. So you have close games for the first four or five innings, and then the bullpen comes in and becomes a blowout. And it's just not good baseball. So, yeah, it's been tough for a team that has been very good the last three years and very competitive. Um, this has been a straight downfall. Yeah, it's uh, it's <laughs> it's just uh, for folks that are, think we're exaggerating a little bit. One of the things that uh, folks should definitely go check out, and not just because we're very fangrass friendly on this podcast, but you look at the WRC plus for this lineup. And like you said, the pitching, the starting pitching is the bread and butter. And um, I liked what I saw from, from Irvin uh, earlier because he pitched in that brave series and he's been solid. Uh, I think you've got yeah. something there. Um, and then you're like, do we want to get attached to Frankie Montes? He's 29. Doesn't seem like he's going to be around uh, for this rebuild. So as cool as he's been, and he's been great this year. Um, he's still got 17 starts in it, but I don't know. You look around, you're like, all right, um, is Ramon Laureano our best hitter? And is that just what What do we do? Because our offense is terrible. He's probably the only guy who can really fetch anything uh, of note in the trade uh, this summer. But I don't know. Like, what, what do you do if you're running this team this summer? Because did you if you're running the team, did you see it being this bad, the worst season in Oakland history? Do you think they had that in the back of their mind or they thought this is this was even way worse than they had anticipated? I think this is worse than what they anticipated. Look, they knew it was going to be bad, right? You you, you come out of the, the lockout and you Bassett, you trade Chapman, you trade Olsen, and you trade Shamanaya. Mm. Right? You got 12 prospects back. You're hoping that you hit on four of those prospects, four or twelve, that would be amazing if they if they're able to do that. But that's down the road, right? That wasn't going to happen this year. They only had a few major league ready players and and questionable ready major league ready, right? As you know, Christian Pache with with the Braves, the guy the Braves mm-hmm. were very high on, and defensively he can play in the big leagues. There's no doubt. Offensively, it's been a struggle. Now we're seeing progression. We're seeing improvement. He's making better contact. He's got a little bit more control of the strike zone. He's not striking out as much. He's also not getting a lot of hits, mm-hmm. and therefore he was finally sent down. He was sent down to AAA to Las Vegas to play every day and hopefully work out some of those offensive kinks that he has because they need him to be that superstar center fielder. That's why this trade – it's the only way this trade works, right, the Matt Olson trade. Um, you know, you brought up Frankie Montas. On Sunday in Seattle, he came out after the first inning. And all of a sudden, the speculation goes right away to this is a trade. They have traded Mm. Frankie Montas. And they actually had to put out during the game, leaving the game was non-transactional to let people know that this was not a trade, that this was an injury situation, which then gets all the wheels spinning. Because you're like, well, if he's hurt, there goes his trade value. Mm. I don't expect Frankie Montas to be with this team in August. Mm. I think he's definitely going to be traded because he's their – most in-demand starting pitcher, and there's teams that need starting pitching. But again, it's a situation where the A's need to hit if they trade Frankie Montas. They need to bring something back that's going to help them. Um, you know, the major league level, as we said, it, it's not good. This is a bad team. The minor league level is still pretty bare. Even with the 12 mm-hmm. prospects they got in those trades, it's still not very deep. And there's still no real up-and-comers coming to get excited about. They need to hit if they're going to trade Frankie Montas or Sean Murphy or Ramon Laureano. Any more trades that happen, they need to hit with somebody who's going to be in a, a difference maker type of player. It's not a good year to just with the ball change and uh, with offense being down across the board. It's not a good year to be a bad baseball team because no. if you're a bad baseball team this year, chances are you're a bad uh, hitting team as well. And like you said, there's nothing worse than being bad and not hitting either. Um 
Well, what do you think his value is? Like, what do you think is realistic in terms of return for Montes? Like, do you do you have a team in mind who you would like for them to target? And uh, what makes the most sense to you? Well, you know, back about two or three weeks ago, we thought that's where Frankie's value was at his highest. Because not only do you get him for uh, probably another 15 to 18 starts this year, you also have another year before he becomes a free agent. So if you're a team that's on the outskirts of contention, this is the guy that you want to get. If you're the White Sox, you want to get Montas now because you want to get the most starts you can out of him. Mm -hmm. Or at that time, the Red Sox were actually a very good opportunity because they were still kind of on the fringes. Now the Red Sox had an unbelievable June. They're Mm -hmm. the number one wild card team now. They they look like they're pretty ensconced that they're going to be a playoff team. Um, But the White Sox are still one of those teams that could possibly go after Frankie Montas. The Los Angeles Dodgers could go back to Frankie Montas. That's where the A's originally got him from. Not knowing Walker Bueller's situation right now. Mm. That's a team that the A's could look at as a trade partner. Who they would actually want in return, I don't know well enough specifics in the minor league level who that person would be, but you know the A's and their front office and their baseball people have always been pretty good about scouring minor leagues and knowing the guys that they want. Now, again, they don't always hit on them, but they have a pretty good idea of who they want, and maybe that's why this is taking longer than expected because they're waiting for that certain piece that they really have their eye on. It's interesting you bring up that the farm system is a little bare right now, and this is a terrifying situation to be in if you're an Ace fan, right? Like, (laughs) if you're bottoming out this year... And there's not a lot of help on the way. I mean, who is there? Like, who are, who's there to get excited about in Vegas or further down below? Like, is there are there names? Is it mostly pitching help on the way? Is there lineup help coming? Like, is it just Shea Langoliers? Like, is that uh, is that about it, my old friend? That, like, what is that's it? That's the guy. That's yeah. Langoliers is the guy, um, and he's been terrific in Las Vegas, and he's pushing his way to 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 at least get a look at the major league level this year. Um, which he weren't sure if he was going to push this year to do that, but he's doing that. How um, does that work with the catcher situation, though? That's that's the thing, right? You have Sean Murphy, Gold Glove winning catcher, terrific defensively. Offensively, he's at 220. Mm. Um, he's not quite been that offensive force that they needed, especially at home. He's been terrible at home. Hmm. Um, the A's as a team have been terrible. They only had nine wins at home. Why do you think it's, that is? You know, you could talk about the crowds, and they've been incredibly small, hmm. right? 3,000 is average. But, you know, A's teams are used to playing in front of small crowds. Even the good A's teams played in front of small crowds. Um, and it's, you know, the Coliseum's a pitcher's park. Mm-hmm. Always been a pitcher's park. Lots of foul territory. Ball doesn't always travel that well at night. The A's pitching has been markedly worse at home than on the road. So that mm-hmm. makes no sense. And I don't think anybody can really make heads or tails of that. Now, I will tell you this. Last night, July 4th, they had 24,000 people in the ballpark. Mm. Their biggest crowd of the year. Um, they're playing the Blue Jays. So it's 24,000 people, and it's 23,000 A's fans, right? Maybe 1,000 Blue Jays fans. This was an mm. A's positive crowd, something we hadn't seen all year. And the ballpark was electric. And Cole Irvin was fantastic. Eight innings, mm. uh, just dealing. Uh, a couple home runs by the A's. And the place had that energy, that buzz that they had not had all year. And the A's played one of their best games of the year. It does make a difference to have people in the ballpark behind the, you know, behind the fan, players' backs. The players do feel that. They feel that energy. Um, and you mentioned when they were in Atlanta. Mm. You know, what the A's saw in Atlanta at Truist Park and, and all that surrounds Truist Park, that's mm. the A's dream, right? That's what they're trying to accomplish in Oakland with this new ballpark is to have not just a ballpark, 
but a whole community of restaurants and businesses mm. and places to go and places to hang out. Um, have that buzz all around during the day. I mean, it's amazing. You go to a Braves game. I've been lucky enough to be there a couple times this year mm. on a Tuesday at two o'clock, and that place is buzzing with people. Yeah. They're excited about being at the ballpark, and that's what the A's are hoping. And it does make a difference to have that fan interaction and that that fan energy every night. Can we roll out the the stray cat situation in uh, in the home ballpark? Is that what if we just have alert a lot of allergic uh, Oakland A's out there? Maybe that's part of it. <laughs> No. You know, luckily, uh, mm-hmm. we haven't seen much of the cats lately. We did have a, a possum problem <gasps> did for you? a while. We had them actually in the broadcast booth. Um, we could actually see it peeking its little head out uh-huh. um, and hanging out. Uh, you know, the Coliseum's old, yeah. right? It's originally built in 66, played with baseball in 68. Um, not as much upkeep as we would have liked to have seen. Um, and there are definitely issues with the Coliseum, but it's also the ballpark that I grew up in. So to me, I mean, that's home. I love the Coliseum. And if little critters want to join us, that's, that's fine by me. So it's interesting you bring it up, the the fact that you, they're looking at, and it's called the battery, like for folks that aren't familiar uh, locally. And it's been a huge hit. I mean, they have a sports radio station, uh, 680 set up over there. You have pl- pe- a lot of people live there. It's a cool place to live in your 20s and stuff like that. And um, it's a party atmosphere. Um, it's definitely one of those things where you can do a lot of different stuff, have concerts, do, do a lot of different things. But in terms of Oakland, because <laughs> it it's just... I don't know. Like, you're more plugged in. Is that realistic? Because I can't take another just uh, fake picture of what the next Oakland Stadium is going to look like, David. Because when you bring up, like, that's their dream is to build this thing that's like the battery in Atlanta. It's like, well, is that still on the table? Is that something Oakland fans should still hold out hope for? Like, I don't know. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but how many many, uh, (laughs) just uh, blueprints before enough is enough? Yeah, they can open up a museum with all the artist renderings mm-hmm. of the stadiums that are going to be from San Jose, from Fremont to Delaney College. Look, they're as far as long as they've ever been in hmm. their hopes for a new stadium in Oakland. They've never been this this far, and they are still miles away from the finish line. Building anything in California is a process. I mean, people are making money on the process hand and foot. Mm. Um, but the A's are all in as far as trying to get this built at what's called Howard Terminal. It's a Mm -hmm. seaport down near Jack London Square in Oakland, waterfront ballpark. But there are so many hurdles to go, so many licenses that have to get, so many deals that still have to be made. Um, There's with the the city council they have to deal with. And the city council, the mayor, Libby Schaff, who is a big proponent of this ballpark, she turns out at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. If agreement doesn't get signed and, and delivered, by the end of the year, who knows what happens with the next mayor and the next city council. So there is a time limit on this. And as you've probably heard, the A's are also exploring ballparks in Las Vegas. Mm. Right now, the A's owner, John Fisher, doesn't talk to the media. He mm. just Since he bought the team in 2005, he does not talk to the media. He's the heir to the Gap family. Mm. He is worth billions of dollars. Uh, he does not talk. So we don't know what he wants. We don't even know if he really wants to own a team that plays in Las Vegas. <laughs> we don't know if he wants to build a stadium in Las Vegas. Look, if the A's are to move there, they still have to build a stadium there. Mm. And the city of Las Vegas, look, they built the Raiders stadium, and they were happy to do it, but it cost a lot of money, and they don't have that money now for the A's. So the A's would have to partner with maybe a casino, maybe the Flamingo, right? And they'll build a hotel and a ballpark, but that's still, again, more miles down the road. Mm. And does Major League Baseball really want the A's 
to relocate to Las Vegas and leave the Bay Area to the Giants, to leave 8 million people all alone to the Giants. Do the other 28 owners want that for, for, for baseball? So there's mm-hmm. still so many questions. But what the A's see with Atlanta, that's what they want. And they're they're trying to do it. Will if you know, even if they get this all done, let's say all the approvals, it's a twelve billion dollar development project. Twelve billion dollars. Only mm-hmm. one billion is the ballpark. If this gets done, will the people show up? Will the people go? I'd like to think yes, because it's going to be pretty spectacular, especially in the East Bay where, where Oakland is, and to compete with San Francisco. But there's no guarantee. How much of that is Fisher's money of the twelve? Uh, none of it. Oh, the, the the one, the one billion for the ballpark, I should say. So That's the it. other eleven billion is all with grants and taxes and city funds and some other stuff. He's putting up the one billion <laughs> to build the ballpark. It's very kind of him. Yeah. Well, which which leads to the thing. It's like, why not just build the ballpark? Why does yeah. it have to be a twelve billion dollar development and involve the city and the county? Look, when the Giants built Oracle Park, mm. right, which was Pac twelve Park or Pac Pac Bell Park when they built it. They just built the ballpark in this mm. little part of town, China Basin. That was nothing. There were some warehouses and a donut shop, and that was it. But they built the ballpark, and then organically, things came around it. The mm. restaurants, the hotels, the buildings. Now, yeah, the Giants did fund some of that. There's no doubt. But it still came about organically and not all in one shot. And even now, we're 22 years later they're building what's called Mission Rock in one of their parking lots. So 22 mm. years later, they're still developing this, and they're taking their time. Why can't the A's just build the ballpark and then worry about the other stuff later? Again, because the owner doesn't talk, we don't know. What's your gut tell you? Does the stadium get done in Oakland, or do you think they're Vegas-bound? I just I don't see them being in Vegas. I, I, think, I think this keeps going with the stadium. And honestly, what I think is going to happen is they're going to get all the agreements for the stadium – Hmm. We're ready to build it. And that's when Fisher sells the team. He sells it with all the agreements in place. And you know who he's going to sell it to? Ellison? He's sell it to, no. Ooh. He's going to sell it to Joe Lacob. Oh. Warriors. Interesting. Now, back in 2005, when Steve Schott and Ken Hoffman owned the A's, they had a deal with Joe Lacob in 2005 to sell him the team. Huh. But nobody knew who Joe Lacob was at the time. Yeah. He was just a you know Silicon Valley venture capitalist. No, Bud Selig, who's a commissioner, didn't know who he was, said no to that terms with that deal and pushed in Lou Wolf and John Fisher. Now, Lou Wolf was Bud Selig's fraternity at the University of Wisconsin. Right. So he gives them Wolf and Fisher, and, and, and Joe Lacob learned a lesson. Mm. They don't know who I am. So I need to become known. So what does he do? He goes and becomes part owner of the Boston Celtics. Very minority share, mm. but he learns, he, you know. He gets to know David Stern. He gets to know everybody in the NBA. And when the Warriors come up for sale, right, he's bidding against Larry Ellison. Yeah. But nobody knows. It was a huge upset. Everyone just assumed it was going to be Ellison. Because he had more money Mm -hmm. and all the Oracle money behind him. But guess what? Nobody in the NBA knew him. Mm -hmm. David Stern knew Joe Lacob. And he had that sold to him instead. And this is where it's coming now is everybody knows Joe Lacob. And he wants to be an A's owner. Hmm. He has said that he's always had the standing agreement um, and possibly even a, a share agreement where he would give John Fisher part of the Warriors. Hmm. So we'll see what happens. My, my guess, and again, I, I don't really know it too much. I'm just guessing here that we get the approval for the stadium and Fisher sells the team and Lake up's the buyer. 
That's a great scenario, though, for the A's. Like, that's best-case scenario. Best-case scenario. Because look at what Lakeup did with the Warriors, a downtrodden franchise. He's paying the tax, man. That man's spending. He's spending, and he's willing to spend what yep. it takes to put a winner. And he, bring, he surrounds himself with smart people. Mm-hmm. So now he's not only winning, he's also making tons of money. And he built an arena. He knows what it takes to build in California. He's mm-hmm. been through this now. I just think it would be spectacular if Joe Lakeup was the owner of the A's. Man, I hadn't considered that. I that that's a dream scenario. I do think eventually though Vegas is a team for somebody gets a team. Like a man for just mentioning that he wants to expand to thirty two. It right. seems like if that's the case, then one of those two will be Vegas. I just with how much just professional sports has invested in Vegas uh, over the years, it seems like Vegas and Montreal would be the two safest bets because I, I, you would throw Portland out, but I don't think they would do two West coast teams in the same no. expansion thing. And Nashville, I think would be a mistake. I think you would have a lot of empty stadium games because I just don't think you're going to be able to pull a lot of Braves fans and Cubs fans from that area. I think that's just a recipe for disaster. It's like Charlotte when Charlotte's thrown around. I'm like, have you been to North Carolina? That's just, that's an, <laughs> another extension of Braves country. You see so much brave stuff up there. Like, it's, it's just a you can't do it. Like, the TBS Superstation in the 90s locked the Southeast <laughs> and that whole area into the Braves uh, for forever. Like, you'd be playing against a, a very long, waiting for kids to grow up, being Nashville, Sounds, or whatever uh, fans. It would just, I don't think it would go well. So, I'd probably just go back to the well of Montreal and uh, Vegas. But that is a conversation for another day. Um What's been the, or who rather, has been the biggest surprise in uh, in Oakland for you? Biggest surprise. I think, um, you know, Danny Jimenez was the closer mm. uh, for the first part of the year before he got hurt. And we had seen him uh, before. He was a Rule 5 guy and he was with the Giants for a couple games. And he always had really outstanding stuff. And he finally got a chance to close with the A's. Lou Trevino was not good. Mm. And, he, you know, as a rookie, he really took that job and ran with it. And it looked good for a while until his injury came along. So I thought, you know, Danny Jimenez gave the bullpen something it didn't have. Because, you know, Lou Trevino has just been a circus as a closer. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a guy who came up as a rookie in 2018 and was just lights out, throwing hard. And, you know, teamed with Blake Trinan, the the end of games, was it was over for opponents. Because those two guys were just locked down uh, end-of-game relievers. But it, Danny Jimenez, probably the, the biggest surprise for me. Um, you know, and offensively, there's just been nobody. There's no way it stands out where you go, this is great, and we're excited about this guy. We're yeah. excited of what's to come. You know, you know. I think about Christian Pache and the look and the way he plays, and then I look what you guys got in Atlanta with Michael Harris. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. Michael Harris came over, takes that, gets that opportunity, and runs with it, and is a factor, is a difference maker, not only offensively. He's batting 300 still. He's yeah. batting 300, and he's got an arm. He's got a cannon. Yep. Um and he just, you know, they put him in number nine in the order, and they yeah. just let him play. And it's been, that's the type of player the A's need, a guy who you can just get your hopes around, right? In 1979, when the A's were this bad, mm-hmm. 108 year, in June of that year, June 24th, they called up Ricky Henderson. Mm-hmm. And now you had somebody to get excited by. And as for me, you know, an 11-year-old A's fan, and I, I see Ricky, it's the fastest guy I've ever seen, mm-hmm. and now I'm excited again. So as bad as that team was, I know we have something coming on the future because Ricky's here. Mm. This A's team doesn't have that. 
it's just such a crapshoot. Like, Braves fans who were like, oh, and Michael Harris. Like, anyone who's just like, Michael Harris saw this coming. Where you just... <laughs> Christian Pache was atop the farm rankings. He was just, I mean, Andrew Jones 2.0, this, that, and the other. And, I mean, it's just... It's so hard to evaluate and to guesstimate what guys are going to be once they get to the big leagues. And Michael Harris did not even have a triple A at bat. And he's bumped up and he's just fine. Like, that's just... I, I, he deserves a lot of credit for it, but it's also just a crapshoot, man. Like the Braves, if they take do like just victory laps around that one and pretend that they always knew that Harris would be uh, just an immediate plug and play guy, and Christian Pache would not. It's like no, that's why you draft Christian Pache or bring in Pache and Michael Harris. Like you need yeah. multiple dudes because it's just like that in college football where recruiting doesn't stop like you just because you get one five star or four star that doesn't mean oh the position's done now we move on no because like prospects don't generally work out like you need an army like you need multiple uh four and five stars that's the blue chip ratio you need you need several of those bodies and like you said the A's just don't really have that right now they can't just there's so many eggs in the christian pache basket that it's like not even fair to him where it's like all eyes are on him where it's like we traded matt olson for you and you're the headliner um you have this opportunity and a bad team and i wonder too with pache and with athletes when you talk to them and talk to different teams about it where there's this idea that like oh when he goes to oakland he doesn't have any pressure on it anymore because he's not in a win now team he's not in a world champion team he can just really learn and uh get and struggle through it but there's also this other idea where it's like struggling through it doesn't <laughs> mean success either like that might be even worse for a player to just get uh 200 300 bats of just being completely lost at the plate and the confidence is gone forever i don't know you saw that with mondesi in kansas city a couple of years ago and he got called up too early and he's just now kind of getting back but he's not anywhere close to what he looked like originally i don't know i just think it it's so hard uh and i just feel bad for him is that i think he just can't put it all together but you just see the talent and the raw ability but i also thought with the matt olsen trade the odds of him and or shea not panning out and becoming really good players were pretty slim i like one of them was going to hit and it seems like shea is going to be the one that probably hits it seems like it. the problem with the, the a's also have with their prospects especially at the triple a level is they play their home games in las vegas yeah and the ball flies. It's like mm-hmm. it's like being in Colorado. It, it's hard to get a real grasp on how good these guys actually are. Like when they sent Pache down, they called up Sky Bolt, mm-hmm. and Sky Bolt's been up and down a little bit over the last few years. Actually, left the organization, went to the Giants, came back. Sky Bolt in Las Vegas hits four hundred. Mm-hmm. Sky Bolt in the majors barely can hit two hundred. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you know how do you judge them, right? And even when you look at some of the numbers in the Las Vegas players. You go, oh, oh, this guy's having a great year. And then you look at his home road splits and all his damage is done at home and nothing's doing on the road. So how do you actually judge these guys? How can you get a real good feel? And the same thing with their pitchers. Their pitchers are getting beat up. Mm -hmm. But how much is that because they're pitching in Las Vegas? And how much is it because they're not good? It really is, you know, it becomes a numbers game. You want more guys, more prospects, more opportunities to hit. Um Let's see what happens. I, I do agree. I think Langoliers looks like the real deal. I think he's going to get an opportunity, like we said. Um, but it's it's still pretty barren for the A's. And because they don't have a huge payroll and they can't go out, no free agents coming to Oakland. Right? Mm-hmm. Unless this new ballpark gets done, and even if it gets approved, it's not going to be done for years and years. Nobody's 
signing a free agent deal to come to Oakland. So they need to hit on their prospects or their trades, which they have done. Now, remember, mm-hmm. the A's have gone to the postseason 11 times in this century, uh, I think fourth most. And even yeah. if you look over the last 10, 15 years, they've gone six times. They have a way. They figure out a way to win. And so you give the baseball operations, Billy Bean and David Forrest, you say they know what they're doing. And the consistency. No team's had you know, this, this same general manager, Billy Bean, since the mid-'90s and David Forrest since the early 2000s. We've never seen this, mm-hmm. you know, where it's been the same people in charge for so long on the baseball side. And they do have a track record of, track record of success. They also have a track record of having terrible seasons, right? Mm. And that's been the A's way since they were in Philadelphia. They were either the best team or the worst team. And right now we're in one of those down cycles where they're going to be the worst team, and they're going to probably be the worst team next year. But if Billy and David Force hit and make the right decisions, this team could quickly become a playoff team once again like we've seen in the recent past. I mean, just look at the uh, West. Like, these, <laughs> the rest of the division outside of the Astros who are just kicking the crap out of everybody else, like – the Mariners can't figure it out. The Angels can't figure it out. Um, the Rangers, we'll see if they spin their way into a playoff berth uh, sooner rather than later. But, like, the A's will bounce right back. I just, like you said, 11 playoff appearances in this century. Like, I, I think they get a lot of a bad rap, too, when folks want to dump on the A's. It's like, oh, yeah, they make the playoffs, but what have they won? It's like, right. well, okay. This is something that uh, friend of the pod, Henry Abbott, uh, talks about a lot of True Hoop, a uh, really good NBA website. And I subscribe to this theory, too, where it's like, even though the Braves won, you still understand last year that that was a crapshoot. Like, that, the Jorge Soler trade and guys like that, it's just nine times out of ten. You look at Soler this year, Eddie Rosario's injury luck to start off this year and what he was doing before that. It's like, those could have gone awry. And the Ronald Acuna going down, that could have completely, like, it's just, it, it was lucky. In a lot of ways. Like, it was one of those amazing, unbelievable runs. But, I mean, one team wins. One out of 30 every year. It's one out of 30. And if you go through the history of Major League Baseball, it's, it's a pretty small number of teams overall that win these titles. So, I think if you measure success solely by this thing where only one out of 30 get it every single year, you are missing the point. And you're completely missing everything else that goes into winning. And I think the goal for most Major League Baseball teams should be sustainability that should be like we're pretty good and we're making this work and 11 playoff appearances most teams around the league would kill for that kill for that seattle mariners seattle mariners haven't been to the playoffs since 2001 yeah right it's been over 20 years since they've been to the the postseason Mm. i agree with you especially with baseball in 162 game yep season that proves your medal right to win a division um that's saying something. And that's an accomplishment over 162 games. And making the postseason is an accomplishment. You brought up the Los Angeles Angels. And I'll throw this to you. They have the mm-hmm. two best players in the game, right? And Mike Trout and Shohei. And they are terrible. <laughs> You're the Los Angeles Angels. What do you do? Yeah. I think it's, I think, you know, Mike Trout has a long-term contract uh, with a full no-trade clause. I think you have to go to Mike Trout and say, hey, can we trade you? I don't know if Mike Trout wants to be traded. Mike Trout might be happy playing for the Los Angeles Angels for very little time. Gets to be the best player in the game. He's not winning. Whatever. That team's cursed, right? It just has to be cursed. Uh, I can can find one reason as to why this. There's one. uh, There's one. One constant in these Angels failed, uh, these failed restarts and big spending uh, situations. And it, it rhymes with Marte Arino. 
And I think <laughs> that might be the the thing here where it's like Rob Manford just goes to him. He's like, look, man, like you're in LA now. Like you'll make a bunch of money if you sell this team right now. Like a boatload of money. Just sell him. I need these guys in the playoffs. Like, I don't know if it's a you thing, but there's just something wrong whenever you try and spin. Like you, you brought in Rendon. He's gone. Like you just, you've tried. Like, hey, man, you tried. You had a ring 20 years ago, but like, it, it's time for someone else in Los Angeles to to take this thing over because I need Shohei Otani and Mike Trout in my playoffs. I, I just need it. You do. You do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about it. I mean, the O2 champion, that was Disney owned the team. Yeah. O2. That was even before Artie, right? And then Artie gets involved in, in the Josh Hamilton deal. Terrible. Albert Pujols deal. Terrible. Rendon's become just can't stay on the field. Yep. None of their pitching. Now, Syndergaard's had a nice year. And Syndergaard, maybe he goes on, but it's not enough. It's the same issues every year, right? They just don't pitch. Mm-hmm. They don't pitch. They don't get enough relief. Somebody gets hurt. They don't develop. They, they don't develop anybody. And you go, you got Mike Trout, like number one war, Shohei Otani, mm-hmm. two war. I mean, it's, and it doesn't, it doesn't translate to actual wins. Mm-hmm. And I just, I can't imagine what they're going to do. Now, I would not, you know, you don't want to trade Trout. Obviously, you don't want to do that. But, Maybe you have to. Maybe you got to do something. Um, you can't get rid of Shohei. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's box office gold right there. Every time he's on the field, every time he pitches. But man, what a mess that is! And I just I don't see a, I don't see him digging out of it. I thought you know firing Joe Madden was the right move because I thought he might have been the problem. His act even only in its third year was starting to wear thin. But that's not the problem. It's just there's something else going on there. It's terrible. Yeah, it's it's not good. It's not getting solved anytime soon. I just I think it's time to move on from the the Angels are going to figure this out. Like I just I I think I've moved on. I think there's actually more reason for optimism in Seattle. Um and that yes. that offense up and down the lit like has hit really well and I hope that they spend. I hope that they really go for that final wild card spot because I think that they'll be right there. I think they've kind of uh, they've been under they've underwhelmed in, in terms of what they can really be this year. I, I hope the Mariners do something um, to really make a go of it late. But we'll end on this. So I wonder. We always like it's so hard to get a read on like how much of a manager matters to a team. But it's a long season, 162 games. The last couple of years have been horrific on these guys, like burnout, just a lot of stuff. Like they've gone through a lot of stuff and played a lot of games. Um, I wonder for somebody like Melvin, who was just a fixture for so long, won a lot. The locker room loved him. Very serene dude. The grateful dead manager uh, in Oakland. Like he, he was just a, a great manager. He just seems like someone who is just a great manager. And some guys really just are, and I wonder how much of that, and it's not even Mark Kotze's fault, but I just wonder him being a first year manager and kind of plugged in here. Do you think it's as bad? Do you like, it's hard to figure out how many wins difference it is, but do you think if Melvin had still been around this year, it's going a little bit better. There maybe is some developmental differences. There's some in-game stuff that wins them a couple more games that Kotze still figuring out. Like, is there any impact there? And not if they make the same trades that they made this year. Yeah. Right? If you don't have Chapman, Olsen, Anai, and Bassett, no, you're not a good team. The manager's only as good as for the yeah. most part, right? Really, that's true. Especially nowadays, even more so. This isn't the, you know, 1980s, 90s, Tony La Russa, Bobby Cox, who were in charge of everything with the ball mm. club. 
from the clubhouse, from the lineup card to every in-game move. That's just not the case anymore. Uh, lineup card is almost t- told to you by the front office. Moves are, are scripted out for you what they would like to see. Mm. Uh, manager's job now is much more of a front man. Yeah. Uh, dealing with the media and dealing with the players and being, I don't want to say a babysitter to the players, because that's not what it is, but he is being that sort a sounding of board. coach. A sounding board. And a guy who tries to manage the personalities and get them all moving in the same direction. And I think, you know, Melvin was terrific at it because of the, his style and the type mm-hmm. of person he was. Um, you know, he had his run-ins with Billy Bean quite often. Um, you know, and Billy, Billy's a huge personality. He's, he's not around the team physically like he usually is, but he is over the team, right? Mm-hmm. He's still texting. He's still emailing. He's still making decisions. And David Forrest and the front office, the analytic department, they're still making decisions. Um, and I think for Bob, he saw the writing on the wall where the A's were going to do. And he said, you know what? I don't want to be part of a rebuild. Mm-hmm. I'm 60 years old. I want to win. Um, and the A's were able to, to let him out and let him go to San Diego. And they bring in Mark Kotze. And Kotze's a great baseball guy. A former A's player, played mm-hmm. with a lot of teams. Obviously, played in Atlanta. You know, he's the starting first baseman for a playoff team in Boston that a lot of people forget about. Mm-hmm. He was a guy who was a World Series, a college World Series MVP as a, as a both a hitter and a closer for Cal State Fullerton. And he was a Golden Spice winner. A great baseball guy and a, just a good, good human being. Mm-hmm. I think he, given more talent, is going to be a better manager because mm-hmm. he gets it. He gets being a Major League Baseball player. And his communication with these guys is top-notch. And even last night, you know, Cole Irvin throws eight tremendous innings, and his pitch count is still in the 90s. He could go out there for the ninth and try and go for his first complete game. It's a 5-1 to one game. And Irvin comes off the mound at the end of the eight, and he doesn't go near where Kotze is. He goes to the other side of the dugout. Mm. Kotze goes over there, and he doesn't talk to him. He just grabs him and hugs him. And just saying, you did your job, thank you, sort of thing. And it wasn't a conversation, it was just, it, but the way he hugged him, right? Mm-hmm. It was interesting. I've really not seen that before. It was how are you going to argue with a guy who's hugging you, right? Yeah. It, was, it was actually a very, it was a baseball move by a guy who's played in this game and has seen a lot in this game. So I, I think Kotze, given the right talent around him, would be a very successful manager. He knew what he was signing up for. He knew that this year was going to be bad and possibly the next one or two years is going to be bad. But Given time and given the chance to grow in this job, I think he's going to be very, very good. I like it. I like it. David, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for making uh, making the time this afternoon. How do the good folks keep up with your work and everything going forward? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DFeldy. We're also a co-host of the Green and Bold podcast with Joe Stiglitz where we talk all A's baseball and, and we try and get some interviews and especially this year trying to stay off the field a little bit and see what else is going around, maybe some yeah. A's alumni sort of thing but uh yeah this was this was fun thank you so much for inviting me chase absolutely absolutely we'll have to check back in again soon please hey y'all uh appreciate you checking out part one here of the chasing list podcast on the blue wire pod network uh part two coming up in just one second with fangrass john taylor uh if you guys enjoyed today's episode make sure as always that you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on apple Podcasts or spotify that is indeed how you listen to today's program and have not already done so uh make sure you like and subscribe and check out all the great video content over on our youtube page youtube.com slash chase Summers podcast all that good stuff over there um but yeah uh 
one more part coming up in just one second with uh, John Taylor as we wrap up uh, the pod on a Wednesday. Um, yeah, it's already the middle of the week. Weird week. Weird, weird week. Uh, but the BOLS is back. A top kneeling. It's a good day. It's a good day. Um, all right. Part two coming up in just one second. Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.